and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is his shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, Axel? It's okay. I'm, I haven't really done a whole lot. Woundvog was over last night, and we just watched a ton of Game Grumps 10-minute power hours and stayed up way too late. So now I'm a little tired, but I'm, otherwise I'm good. Caffeine pills are for I'm, I'm not a fan, but you go on. Get us right into our Patreon sound off, buddy. All right. We're going to start today's episode the same way we start every episode, by thanking the people that make this possible. Those are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Orion McCann, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, and Anne Elmquest. Now, if you'd like to help us by becoming a patron, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geekswithshield. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, and it goes a long way towards helping us produce this podcast week to week. All right. So I'll just take us right into what we're doing for the week. We Back when we first started doing this podcast, we did an episode pretty early on about how books adapt to movies and what they do right, what they do wrong, stuff like that. And we made a few comments about our thoughts on books to TV adaptations, which was a, kind of a small thing. So Ulrich wanted to do more of a full-fledged thing so we're doing an episode on that and we have a special guest today go ahead and introduce yourself uh hi there i am lore master sotech i run a youtube channel a twitch channel and some other stuff uh, i focus primarily on warhammer fantasy lore and video games and s- stories and other things that all refer to warhammer fantasy and uh yeah you might have seen me around from place to place, especially if you're involved in the lore of Warhammer Fantasy or if you're involved in the Total War Warhammer series by Creative Assembly. And if you're a long-term fan of the podcast, you'll know that Loremaster of Sotech was one of my recommendations in our YouTuber special. Oh, yeah, I appreciated that. And I'll eventually get, like, through your catalog. I'm I'm more of a 40K guy myself, but, uh, you know, finding a way into a Warhammer Fantasy, you know, good foot in the door kind of thing you know oh yeah well i mean the, I, I tend to find that a lot of people tend to be drawn you know to 40k or fantasy primarily and then they usually get a little overlap but i think most people tend to be drawn more heavily to one or that that sounds fair enough to me it's kind of the classic sci-fi versus fantasy like you can you like both but you probably lean one way or the other so yeah no i started out 40k and then they announced warhammer and I was like, ooh, that looks cool, but I know nothing about this world. And then I just kind of stumbled upon uh, Sotek's channels and really liked how he did it. It's like, all right, then. I'm just going to sit down and listen to all of these. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But that's enough buttering up our guest. Let's talk uh, this kind of golden age we're living in where if it's been a book, it's now a TV series. You know what's funny about – real quick. I was watching a documentary on Netflix about the 2000s, and apparently the 2000s is referred to as the platinum age of television because I guess the golden age was the nine, like part of the 90s or something like that. So I guess what, what can we be now for beyond platinum? The diamond age of television? Does that sound – I don't like – what? That makes no sense. Hey, I'm just telling you what I heard, man. <laughs> the problem when you use gold too early <laughs> you have to yeah you have to, pull, you have to pull a pokemon and just keep going up <laughs> are we eventually going to get to the black age of television or the white age? oh the white age well, sounds depressing well no no we could do we could do like uh what is it professional video game competitives do and eventually we'll get to like the challenger age of television see i like that better as a title that sounds kind of interesting Point is that we're actually, oddly enough, in a space right now where it is a lot of the best stories are on television as opposed to movies. I actually think it's hilarious that Santa Clarita Diet is Drew Barrymore's first foray into television. She's been in movies since she was three years old, and now she's like, well, actually, the good stories are in television, so that's where I'm going. So, yeah, we're getting more and more television syndication rights, man. Yeah, so of course we get more and more adaptations, and there's plenty of stuff that is ad- adapted from books that is not even like obvious unless you're paying attention. So, yeah, like you were saying, Dexter's based on a book. I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah, so I guess I, I can kind of start us off with the, this interesting example, which is yeah, Dexter. It, I mean, it says right there in the intro, based off uh, "Darkly Dreaming Dexter." But I forgot the author's name. I had it a second ago. But anyway, after I had had my experience with the show, which I'll talk about in a second, I went to my local Hastings when that was still a thing, and I would sit in those comfortable chairs. And they're not very long books, so I just read through the first 
four books in that series because there's like seven or eight books in that series only the first one has like a direct correlation with the show like the the first season of the show basically follows pretty strongly then is basically gone with sharing the same character names but the storylines diverge entirely past that which was kind of interesting although the books turned into utter crap paris by the fourth book in my opinion but the show turned into utter crap you know around the same time so not fourth season fourth season is amazing but you get my point so you were one of those people what is that supposed to mean i'm going to go into a bookstore and treat it like a library <laughs> I've, i'm i'm guilty of that i've done that before well i think we all have but hastings is gone now and i get to blame axel for it hey hastings i bought on yeah yeah Hast- hastings went bankrupt like, oh, last man. year they don't exist anymore Oh, that's unfortunate to hear. That was like the only bad news to you, Sotek. <laughs> that was like one of the only stores in my uh, college town. It was like a little podunk town in West Texas, and Hastings is like the only place you could like pick up some interesting things. I loved Hastings, and I'll have you know, Ulrich, that while I may have used Hastings like a library now and then, I bought all my video games and music and movies from Hastings. So don't you pit any blame at me. Mm, I'm gonna still pit the blame on you. Listen, Fine. I can either blame uh, you or I can blame uh, mismanagement at the corporate level. So you, the noted communist, are going to blame the individual over the corporation? Yes. <laughs> are, okay, as long as you understand. <laughs> I feel like there's some personal motivation involved in this decision. Anyway, so my be. point. We're talking about this concept of uh, adapting books to tell. No, like, okay, so we talked about how when we adapt movies, what is you know, probably if not the biggest hurdle, one of the biggest hurdle, which is condensing your story because you're not going to be able to put everything in there. Right. I mean, that's the, the most classic criticism of any book adapted to movie is, Oh, they cut this out. They cut this out. So what's the main advantage of going to television is time. You have a whole lot more time to do it. You, you have a different problem of not necessarily having the budget to do what you need to do, but that's, we talk about that in a second. So, by then taking uh, Darkly Dreaming Dexter in this example, which is, I don't know, like a 300-page book, so not huge, but you know, not insubstantial, and turning it into, what was it, like 13, 15 episodes or something like that? Like you, you get essentially you know, a good time code to, to get across everything you need to get across. So as someone who's read the book and seen the show, uh, there's really nothing in that book that isn't represented in some way. In fact, the show has more stuff that's in the book. So can't say I've either read the book or seen the series. So tech, I haven't seen Dexter, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. It was, I mean, it did go through popular cycles quite a bit enough that, you know, you can't help, but just hear about it just from friends or I mean, it was an interesting show. I've always been more of someone that I tend to watch my television online as opposed to on actual television. So I tend to miss out on the like the cable frenzy, like whatever's good on cable and just kind of watch things at my own pace, which I mean, that works for me. But I'm also a fairly busy person, so kind of have to watch when you can. You know? Oh, yeah. Yep. And this well, then, is the uh, age of streaming. Well, then you guys will have to take my word for it. But so that, that first season of Dexter is one of my favorite seasons of television I've ever seen. Like that first season is great. And then the second and third season, well, the second season is actually pretty good, but the third season is absolutely terrible. The fourth is great. The fifth is okay. And then six, seven, and eight are literally the worst television I've like ever seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> but funny, so, funny thing about that, I want to say is that. So Dexter, right, you know the, the basic idea of serial killer who hunts other serial killers. Right, right. Great concept. The The show made its mistake by essentially trying to make Dexter a bunch of other things, having him fall in love with his adopted sister. It, it's, anyway, messed up. But the book goes in a different direction where, like, in book four, it basically reveals that he is possessed by an eldritch being of darkness that causes him to want to kill and that he loses that being for the book, so he doesn't want to kill, and he doesn't get the urge to kill again until that being who's possessing other people proceeds to repossess him. So it goes, like, weirdly supernatural. That's when I stopped reading the books. That, that's, a, that's a pretty serious left turn. <laughs> that might actually get me to read the books. That's that's out of left field. Yeah, it's, it's really odd, but it made me not interested anymore. Also, 
like in in the show he marries this girl and she has these two kids and he kind of like raises them and they're normal kids so you know keeping them from what he does is an important thing in the books though the kids who had an abusive dad which still exists in the show but they're psychotic so like by book three the son the younger son who's like nine or something stabs the main villain while the sister watches and then he turns into it turns into this like oh i guess i will train these kids just like my father trained me to be better killers sounds like the show would have been better served sticking closer to the book (laughs) i I don't know sounds crazy it's out there is my point (laughs) yeah it's certainly a less grounded approach which is already kind of surprising given what the series is about (laughs) i'd watch that show that sounds interesting like, who yeah. did they get to voice the evil entity inside him? Um, Keith I don't know. I mean, my first thought was Chuck Huber, but I love Chuck Huber's voice in general, so. Yeah, my default is Keith David for anything, well, just anything. Anyway, since neither of you have actually seen or read Dexter, I'll kind of leave it there that for anyone out there who didn't know it's based on a book series, give it a shot. I, you know, maybe he'll think the over the top is better. I thought it was a little too hokey for me once it got to that point, but you know, maybe you'll enjoy it. Uh, now, I will say before we go on, I feel like we can't talk about book to television adaptation without at least mentioning Game of Thrones. I mean, we recently did a whole episode on it, but it's so appropriate to this. You got to at least kind of mention it, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. It's I know it's come up in my circles a lot. Because I, when I was in college, I read the, uh, I read all the books that were out at the time, and I still haven't gotten around to watching the show. I've got a bunch of friends that are, were trying to get around to doing it, but it's such a pain in the butt to get everybody scheduled, at the same time. But we're interested. I mean, you hear, I hear nothing but good things about it for ninety percent of the time. That's crazy. I've never met someone that's read the books but hasn't seen the show. It it, it helps when. Uh, it helps when your hobbies are horribly time consuming and your job is horribly time consuming and you, you only see your friends like once a week. I totally yeah, understand. I, why, why do you think we started a podcast? <laughs> Actually, yeah, you could argue it was basically a, a forced excuse for us to hang out. <laughs> I think that's an excellent reason to start a podcast. Well, anyway, we, we could all say that, I mean, before the whole, before Game of Thrones, what were the, I feel like there weren't that many uh, examples of books adapted television. Like they did exist, but not that many. But Game of Thrones became this smash success, and now everyone Stephen like, King miniseries. Ooh, was, I think the best. Very, example. very hit or miss. Oh <laughs> yeah, uh, my mom is a huge Stephen King fan, so I've seen most of them. And who boy, some of them are really good, and some of them are just batshit crazy, and most of them have not aged well at all. Okay, yeah. I will. I will. I will. I feel like I want. I want to bookmark the Game of Thrones thing just by saying because, like I said, we did a whole episode on it. Uh, and unless anyone's got anything else to say, it's like okay, it basically created the new. We're gonna call fad or whatever you want to call it of of doing this. Me and Ulrich both like the show more than the books. Personal. That's just our opinions. And um, I don't know. As, as someone who's read it but hasn't seen it, what. I actually am curious, what would be the one thing that say you have either heard about it that worries or excites you? And what would be something that you would want to see that you haven't heard of? Um, as, far, as far as Game of Thrones is concerned, I, I, I think the number one thing that comes to mind that I have heard is not in the show, that I am sad is not in the show, is um, Lady Stoneheart, I think is what she's called, without yes. revealing yeah. too many the lack of her existence uh, made me sad because I was really interested to see like what she would look like and how they would develop that storyline, especially since I think that's about as far as I got in the books was her arrival and it not really getting super in-depth with what was going on there before the book ended. And, of course, J.R.R. Martin writes books slower than most people like, like age, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. grow through an entire life. The um, problem is they backed a truckload of money up to his house and said, hey, we want to make a show. And he's like, ooh, money. Okay, screw writing books. But seriously, uh, uh, it feels a little Martin, unfair. <laughs> Mr. Martin, if you're listening, please, we love you. We, you do great work. This is all in good fun. You just, you know, slip me like the notes that you gave the show. I, I just I need to know how it ends. <laughs> well, this is the last season, right? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I still want to know where it diverges because that's kind of the thing. I mean, they still do it in TV shows. A lot of times it does diverge from the book. And I kind of want to know where the key points are. Well, it's funny because with with Song of Fire and I specifically, and I think if you got up to Lady Stoneheart, you didn't see this yet, but there's a character you find out's alive. And if it's not the last book, it's the second to last book that was supposedly dead before the books even started. So it's not like a huge spoiler. I'm not going to say who it is anyway, but their being alive and being present is like a huge, huge deal in the book story, apparently. And that never has happened in the show. So I wonder how they're going to, how the endings will be different just based on that concept. But that's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's the classic con, uh, I like to call it the Fullmetal Alchemist concept, where like if you you know diverge from your source material in the service of you know telling a different but still good story, it's fine. You know, I was I was literally about to ask about that um, about because it's like when you think when I think adapting a story to television, I, I wouldn't say this is necessarily factual, but in my experience, I was exposed to that through Japanese animation way earlier than Western as far as like seeing stories and manga and whatever coming to life on screen as animations. And it got very, very high quality, very quickly <laughs> over there. Um, yeah. And it's, it certainly seems to be easier to do even at extreme high quality, just because Japan seems to take animation very, very seriously and their voice acting is very committed. And in the West, we tend to be very dedicated to live action, which live action has, notable flaws <laughs> budget being the biggest one that comes to mind yeah like it, it's hard to you know you can't like just looking at warhammer for instance i would love to see a adaption of go trek and felix as a television series because it would i think it would be amazing but i i worry about it it being a western Thing because Western shows tend to almost always want to do live action, which that would be really unsettling in a lot of ways. <laughs> it would, but it also I like I worry that like you have to cut so many corners to make live action work. You know, it's like there are so many shows that people love um, that I've recently been watching random clips from shows like um, I don't know. I guess Supernatural is a good one, and um, that show can be fantastically hit or miss with the yep. with the quality and the graphics and i think i think i watched a scene of what was literally the final fight scene and it was the goofiest like men floating in the air on obvious strings and just it just looked terrible <laughs> and it was supposed to be like the epic climax of the show and i was like woof <laughs> this is pretty rough yeah i've long campaigned that if they wanted to do a warhammer 40k series or warhammer fantasy series just do it in animation. Get a dedicated animation team and do it that way. There are plenty of stories that are great gateways to either universe. And if you do animation, which is starting to gain traction, Western animation is starting to get some ground, and you don't have to worry about budget, and you can do all the crazy high fantasy, crazy-ass concepts and not be limited by bad CG, wire work, and fake blood. Well, I've also learned not to expect good choreography from live-action television outside of Daredevil. It's the only <laughs> show I've seen do it. Also, as far as the anime conversation is concerned, I think it's interesting because in, in that case, there's like an extra step in the process, usually. not Because there are, there are anime that are anime original, and then there are anime that are pulled straight from like manga. But a lot of the time, there's a light novel first. So we have what is essentially a book that can, then gets adapted into a manga. So we've already got, all right, we're going from just imagination on page to uh, panels, which are almost essentially a you know plan right there for how to you know create the animation. So then we go from manga to anime, and it's just like we're doing this in, in multiple steps. So I think that process, which is pretty streamlined because there's a lot of different kind of companies that do this in, in Japan, is why they can do it with such regularity. And as accurate as they tend to be, anyway. So are we going under the assumption that anime is an adaption of a book? Because like, it in relation is to our, a lot of times. Well, in relation to what we're talking about, are we going to say that anime is fair game for discuss this discussion? Uh, I, I would say it certainly seems related. 
I, I don't know. I mean, that would be up to y'all. <laughs> well, I'm just saying as a group, I mean, it really kind of treads that fine line between the two. Yes. I, 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 they're not strictly books. Yeah. Like I, I agree with your saying what I, what I think you're saying and that they're, they're kind of more of a halfway medium as opposed to like a strict. You've got the storyboards drawn up for you a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But I think we kind of touched because we all kind of, you know, more or less, at least uh, Sotek and I gave suggestions of this is a book that I would like to see adapted. Sotek being uh, Gortek and Felix, mine being uh, anything from the Gaunt's Ghost series, I think would be a great segue into 40K. Actually, Ooh, Gaunt's Ghost. Yeah, that would well, be super popular. Well, hold on, really quick. I, since I haven't read Warhammer Fantasy, Gortek and Felix, Gortek just, that sounds like a, an orc name, like a really good so, orc name. Is he an orc? So, 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 Go Gotrek and Felix is a dwarf slayer that runs around with a human, um, and Felix is the human. Gotrek is the dwarf, and it's kind of a, it's kind of an episodic book series, and every book is named like demon slayer or orc slayer or zombie slayer or vampire slayer or beast slayer or giant slayer or dragon slayer, and basically they're these fairly lengthy books that detail them going on some horrifying adventure that culminates in a battle against some colossal terror of the Warhammer fantasy universe and how they engage it and usually kill it. And they're just, they're very exciting stories and the two of them generally survive though. They tend to get permanent damage, but a lot of the interesting parts of the narrative are the characters they meet along the way, because many of them don't. So you get really attached to characters and you're hoping that, you know, maybe they're going to be the one that survives and not. Yeah, no, <laughs> but okay, it's, it's, okay, it's so, a very action based series. So they're dwarves, you said, right? That there's uh, a dwarf and a human. It's a dwarf and a human. Yeah. Okay. And they go around. hunt. That's why you said it sounds kind of like a Western, right? Because like they're basically going around finding problems and solving them by hunting something, slaying something. Essentially, so the, the 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 basic concept is that the dwarf he's a slayer, so his whole purpose in life is to find something powerful enough that he can fight and it will kill him. But he has to be fighting as hard as he can to redeem himself for some mysterious, horrible grudge in his past that caused him to shed his identity and his family, and now he just wanders looking for a, a glorious death. And the human um, on a drunken bender one night promised to follow him around and basically record his story. But the human Felix is a great character because not only is he very amusing and like a heroic individual on his own, but he kind of provides a um, he's kind of the grounding tool because Gotrek is this very, very powerful legendary figure. And Felix kind of acts as the, the reader's focal point into understanding the absurdity of the Warhammer fantasy universe. Which is why one, I think you hit the nail on the head. That does kind of read like a Western and it would be such a great introduction point to the Warhammer fantasy universe, because let's be honest, the Warhammer fantasy universe is kind of bonkers at times. It's Oh yeah, it certainly can be. I mean, whenever someone comes to me and they say, you know, Laura master, what, you know, I want to get into Warhammer fantasy. Where do I start? I always tell them go Trek and Felix. Because it starts really grounded and it just kind of builds up, but it always has that human perspective, which not all books have. You know, some books just drop you in the middle of elven civilization or dwarves or skaven or whatever, and it, it can be very daunting to try and figure out what's going on. Well, especially that structure of essentially having a bard chronicling, you know, this hero's story is a very it's like a very classic kind of familiar. It's a, it's a easy way to ease someone in. So it's like, Hey, this is familiar territory. So now we can start hitting you with weirder stuff and you know, you're already comfortable. So, you know, don't, don't freak out on us. Yeah. But like I, I would, I would do, I would pay unseemly amounts of money <laughs> to see that adapted in some way into a television. Okay. Then let's, let's, I want to give you the opportunity. Um, so, Let's say theoretically that you you have the money to spend so that it won't have to cut corners. You at least get a Game of Thrones quality show out of this. So like it may not be, you know, a 10 out of 10 adaptation, but it's going to be like damn good, like just quality wise. Who are we casting as, you know, the the hero and our our bard essentially and what sort of decisions would you want to see made? Oh lord. 
I mean, when when it, when it comes to actors, I would probably have to do extensive research because I'm I'm one of those unfortunate souls that I tend to refer to actors by their character names, not by their actual names, because I I struggle to remember. Like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, e- even then, um, it, it's it's hard for me to imagine who would make. I I would probably leave that in uh, other hands. I wouldn't say that's one of my skilled talents, but. When looking at like how to best adapt the series as far as like what corners could be acceptably cut and stuff, I think an advantage that Warhammer has in its favor compared to something like Game of Thrones is it relies a lot less on epic scale narratives. Um, like every maybe five or six books, you get into like a big battle at like a siege or something. But generally the battles are a lot more intimate and like tend to involve like one monster per like season slash book. And um, mostly the story is told from the perspective of dealing with just how devastating and grim dark, you know, the Warhammer universe is, you know, it's not, it's not a world where there are a lot of great heroes who can just wander about doing whatever they want without consequence. It's a world where people die of disease and, other terrible things and the dark gods are the most powerful thing there is. And the good guys are not winning 99% of the time. But so I, I, I don't know. That's, that's actually a really interesting question. Um, I think the biggest thing for me would just my biggest thing. And I think this is something that game of Thrones actually succeeds at is just when they do go hard on the fantasy, they do it well, you know, like the dragons, for instance, from what I've seen in Game of Thrones seem to be really, really well done. Yeah, it's fun. Um, Game of Thrones season will have this quality. Most seasons where like early on the episodes will have really like crap choreography and you're like, what happened to the budget? And there'll be like two episodes at the end where, oh, here's the entire army of the dead, all CG and awesome looking. And here are a bunch of dragons like, oh, that's where all the money went. Yeah, I, I think Go Trek and Felix would uh, succeed in a very similar premise in that, you know, you kind of have a slow burn of building up a narrative and meeting characters, establishing relationships. And then it kind of builds up to some horrible monstrosity that would need to be heavily, you know, CGI most of the time, not all the time there, you know, there are certain things that could be practical effects, you know, like a vampire wouldn't be the Warhammer vampires would not be explicitly hard to do without uh, outside of practical effects or chaos Lords who are just like mutated individuals in heavy plate armor. Um, But you know, when you have your dragons or, demons or uh, all sorts of other nonsense. Yeah. I, I actually think game of Thrones would make a fairly fitting um, base point though. Another series that I think is very, is very similar in concept um, that I'm curious to see how it will do is the upcoming Witcher series. That actually, yeah. you're right. That'll be a good testing to see if they can do it. Well, what's funny as, as a side note, you, you were describing, the, the world of 40k and what what needs to be done and for some reason i know i was selling hard on the all right if we have a live action we'll be doing but something about what you described it made me think of netflix's castlevania i was in the I was same like, that sounds <laughs> yeah and that yeah that, that, that that's another yeah i mean the animated features are just so great <laughs> well uh games workshop has announced they are doing an animated 40k series so there is hope to see where that goes that's true though i am i am unfortunately concerned that it's probably going to be heavily focused on space marines which space marines yeah. can bite me as far as i'm concerned <laughs> they're so boring well, well, real, quick, real quick then what is your uh, what is your xeno of choice oh tyranids man i love tyranids okay you know what okay. i can respect that i'm an, we, I'm we, an we, orc we can man. be friends <laughs> Yeah, see, I'm an orc man myself, and Ulrich here is constantly calling me a filthy Xeno lover, so I would have a a companion here. (laughs) Uh, Orcs in Warhammer Fantasy Fantasy and in 4K are quite quite special. Um, I I don't know of any fantasy setting that has orcs that I love as dearly as Warhammer, just because of how humorous while still terrifying they are. It's because green is best. Green is best. Anyway, so so Auric, what did you say? A Warhammer uh, book as well for your what you were wanting to get? Uh, Warhammer Fantasy. I mean, the one everyone goes to is something from the Gaunt's Ghost series, which could be done in live action. To be honest, 
Okay, so if his description, I I will eventually get these names down. But what, so what's Gon's ghost? What's the deal with that? Uh, it's a book series about a ultra badass regiment of guardsmen. Who it's ba- I haven't. I'm still reading through the first book. I haven't got into it, but I know it by record. But basically, just imagine Band of Brothers in 40k. I mean, you're dealing with a small group of characters that can and will die at any moment, a la, you know, the Game of Thrones style. They're guardsmen, so you're not having to do a whole lot of CGI. It's the human level, so you don't have to deal with a whole lot of, you know, big stomp and space marines. And you get to explore the universe from the perspective of, hey, you're just a guy on the front lines with a gun that's not nearly strong enough to take down some of the things you're expected to fight. And everything here sucks. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Again, I've just started reading the first book. This series is legendary. It's still going on. But two of its biggest qualities are this is everyone's, okay, welcome to 40K, read Gaunt's Ghosts, and don't get attached to anybody because they're going to die. Yeah, I I always find it funny that when comparing Warhammer 40K against Warhammer Fantasy, in Warhammer Fantasy, it's like it's a horrifying grimdark universe, but there's like a spark of hope for a future. And 40K is the opposite. It's like a grimdark universe, and there is nothing but a black abyss of hopelessness. What's, yeah, funny is that, on. what's funny is that when they introduced a race that was supposed to be a spark of hope, a la the Tau, all the fans were like, no, we don't like this. Like, okay, they're, they're brainwashing. It's, they're evil, too. <laughs> ah, yes, for the greater good. That's better. It's darker now. Um, the other one I'll go with, and kind of harkening back to our episode we did on movies, I want a World War Z series. I want a true adaptation of world war z what you don't like brad pitt (laughs) i hate that movie so much and i'm glad the sequel got canned (laughs) okay well i remember you talking about this yeah because you wanted to see like a a series where each episode would because world war z said the book actually like deals with essentially different groups of people it's more like a collection of small stories and that's yeah, it's a a collection of short stories that deal with different aspects of the zombie war and the best part is they're all kind of linked. They build onto each other. You have the beginning of it. You have the middle when all shit goes, you know, uh, loose. You've got the end, kind of the gender bit where it's like, okay, we can push back. You've got the pushback. And then you've got this is where we're at now. And it just – it would make such a great series because, one, we are so buried in zombie fatigue. And zombies are – maybe the second or third aspect of this book. It's more about, you know, what are the economic effects of a zombie outbreak? What would, you know, what are the reality TV, how does reality TV show factor into this? I think it'd be really interesting to be done and you could do it without, you know, breaking the bank. Which is, you know, the only way you're going to get budget anyway. But for this particular conversation, we're giving you um, more, more leeway as to, you know, fictional budgets. So in that case, I mean, the other kind of thing is you'd have a rotating cast because very rarely do the characters ever cross over with each other. More, you know, they're referenced to or it kind of cuts back to them, you know, like we talked to so-and-so, you know, way back when he was fighting on the front lines of the zombie apocalypse in the wastelands of America. And now, you know, he's a retired security contractor and this is his story. So does World War Z takes place in the aftermath, right? And it's people like talking about it as it happens. It's a little bit of beginning. I mean, the book starts with the outbreak. Like the whole concept is, is there is a guy from the UN who is collecting all the stories of the world of the war with the zombies and, you know, piecing it together with the idea from the UN being, okay, how can we prevent, prevent this from happening again? And his going, no, this is a historical thing that needs to be recorded. And there's some truly terrifying moments. And the book does have some truly terrifying moments. Like the worst one, that I would love to see on screen, but would also scar me for life probably is the part where these French commandos are talking about fighting zombies in the catacombs of Paris, where the walls are skulls, right? And yeah, the squalls are skulls and it's flooded up to your neck and it's close confines and it's dark. And seems like a terrible place to go fight zombies. (laughs) Well, they're boiling up from underneath, so they don't have a choice. Yeah, like I said, just imagining that in live action would be terrifying. And then there's some really, you know, dark parts where they talk about, you know, these survivors, which, who boy. And then there's, you know, some fun parts, how they, you know, train dogs to help sniff out where zombies were. 
And that would be kind of a cool, you know, guy and a dog story. Everyone can get behind. You know, every time you bring up a guy and a dog story, I think of literally a boy and his dog, which that movie scarred me. So <laughs> not like uh, that. You know, you know, when, when, when you talk about World War Z like that, I, th- I think one of the things that we're kind of lacking in today's television environment that I think that I think is growing because they're realizing people love it so much is instead of like necessarily just purely tearing and telling a narrative, I think something that's really popular with the current generation and is probably going to get more popular is less just telling a story and more of using a story as an excuse for a grand experience in world building. Oh yeah. And just, uh, and just uh, introducing people to grand world building. I was saying it's like, you know, black mirror. It's a very twilight zone kind of concept. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, the best thing about World War Z is you can add more stories in if you wanted to keep the seasons going. I mean, right. the book spans the globe. So maybe you're like, all right, so what was happening in Australia? How long did the zombies last in Australia where even the living people struggle to hold on? Well, I, I want to say real quick, I, I really like – so what Sotek pointed out ties into something I've talked about a couple times, which is this what is a sci-fi. Now, you're talking about it more in a general sense of television, which I definitely approve of, but there's this concept in sci-fi where – I feel like what makes science fiction, I mean, obviously you need a good story, but what makes science fiction like stand usually on its own as interesting is take one fictional technology, just think, figure out what it is, and then world build around that. Like just recently we were talking about a minority report, which I think is brilliant because it's like, okay, what's the one fictional technology? Precognition of crimes. All right, now build an entire world, entire society around that. So doing taking that kind of concept where it's like, okay, instead of necessarily telling uh, story, which there's still plenty of television that does that really well, but instead of like use it as an excuse to what here's the core concept. Now let's play around with building a world around it and try to get our viewers engrossed in that world, even if there isn't necessarily a plot that's happening, you know? Right. But uh, Axel, what do you got for us like in a book that you want to see adapted that you think would work with the unlimited budget and no constraints? Okay, I've got I've got two examples, but they're they're similar. Okay, first of all, this one I wouldn't want to see it for another twenty years, at least, just because. But whenever the time comes to redo Harry Potter, I would rather see it in television form than movie form. I still think we need to wait a long time to do that because Harry Potter's never really gone away. But it fits its book structure fits so perfectly into the, you know, one season, one book kind of concept. So, but I'm not going to talk too much about that. That's just like, you know, a, a pipe dream and I don't have like, you know, actors and then, cause that's like I said, I don't want to see it for years. Something that's more in the present I could talk about is the iron Druid Chronicles by uh, Kevin Hearn. I believe is how you pronounce his name. You, um, I know Ulrich has heard of that. Have you heard of that? Sotek? it sounds vaguely familiar, but not, not off the top of my head. So I read the first three books of this series, and I admit I fell out with it in the third book for very personal reasons. But besides that, the first two books I think would make excellent television. The The plot is that there's this druid who has been alive for 2,200 years, something like that. It's like 2,200 years old or something. And he uses you know Celtic magic to stay alive, but he lives in the modern day, and He's interacted with the you know Celtic gods, Celtic mythology. Here, here's the thing. There's a concept, I, I use that phrase way too much, but that I call the Buffy-like. Not saying that there were shows, there weren't shows like this before Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I feel like Buffy the Vampire Slayer came out and suddenly we are awash in these shows that are you know based in the supernatural, that are you know kind based on young, you know, attractive people. You're uh, literally, your supernaturals, your Grimms, your Lost Girls, your H2Os, like all of these, I consider Buffy likes. And Hounded as a story, or the Iron Druid Chronicles, fit very well into that. And it basically, you get a character like, kind of like Angel from Angel, where, you know, he's a vampire, he's been old for like, you know, 500 years or something like that. But in this case, we have this 2000 year old druid. So you get to focus mostly on Nordic and Celtic mythology for all of your, you know, fun monster stuff. But also the series is heavily pop culture filled, which is kind of frustrating reading it after a while, but I know would be really popular as far as a show is concerned. So I feel like it would function very well. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've read the series and I refer to the pop culture moments as toe stubbing moments because you just stop reading, grunt, roll your eyes and sigh and go, I don't know if I can keep doing this. This is just takes me out of it. But you are 100% correct. That would be a CW or one of those shows that would just be devoured by the. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like all you need is like like two attractive or like an attractive male lead and you're you're off <laughs> you're the also, has an attractive male lead and an attractive female lead and a talking dog that's what i was gonna say the big selling point i think for a lot of people is gonna be that he can talk to his dog so the dog's a, a character so you get all the you know just general people who love animals and now one of your main characters is literally it, just a talking dog if they could pull that off in a meaningful way yes that would that would probably be ridiculous i really feel like this is going to be a series in the next five to ten years it just it feels too perfect for the record i will say even though i'm putting this forward the reason why i fell out with the series myself see the the first book is all about which would be the first season probably is all about atticus is the main character's name running from the celtic god of love which by the way the celtic god of love angus og is a manipulative bastard who uses his ability to force people to fall in love with him to make them into his slaves tells you what the celtics think about love but anyway, it's him dealing with that. The second book is about him dealing with the witch coven that's basically trying to summon a portal to hell in his town. And all that worked very well. But the third book is called Hammered. And the plot is that he made a deal with this witch in the second book. And in order to you know, make do with his side of the deal, he has to bring her the apples of Adun, which are in Nordic mythology would keep the gods young. And another guy basically said, hey, you have to kill Thor in order to make our deal true. So he basically travels into Asgard and just starts murdering his way through the Nordic pantheon. It's like, it's like God of war, but in the Norse and not like the good, you know, game that just came out. It's just like straight up. He's just like, I think by chapter three, he's killed all three Norns and Ratatosk. And I was reading, I was like, I don't know if I can deal with 300 pages of this guy, just murdering my pantheon over and over again. So very personal. (laughs) That's a personal thing. (laughs) But yeah, and I mean, it would work because then after that, it's like, and now all the gods are mad at him. And the one after that, I forget. And then it eventually is all building up to trying to prevent Ragnarok. So it really does feel like you could make seven to eight seasons out of this and people would love it. I don't know if it'd be any good, but it's totally new. And in a completely similar vein, I feel like I, I didn't watch the rick riordan lightning thief movie but i've read his magnus chase which is his version of the norse thing and that's you know very young literature it's meant for like you know 12 13 year olds but it's full of like very accurate mythology stuff so just like with kevin Hart, it's the same kind of concept like oh this is a a youth mythology kind of show but it's interesting because with that with rick riordan's material it could be almost educational because one thing that drives me crazy with these buffy likes is when the mythology is wrong or like willingly wrong like with for instance lost girl right instead of calling it a lich they call it a lick i don't know if that's supposed to be based on like old pronunciation but it just drives me crazy so or or they have beings they call lokis which are basically tricksters but they call them lokis instead of just calling them tricksters and i do, i have no idea why and it drives me crazy so anyway having something more accurate that's like almost educational but still is this adventure story i think would be pretty cool so Sotek, you got any other you know books that you think would make great adaptations or maybe uh adaptation that just kind of rubs you the wrong way uh i was about to say i can think of a book that i was excited to have adapted into a tv series and then it 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 was terrible <laughs> which was um are y'all familiar with wizard's first rule no no i haven't heard of it so so it's it's a, it's an adult fantasy series. Of course, when I read it uh, the first time, I was it was one of my brother older brother's books and he's uh he was 5 years older than me, so there's a bit of an age gap there. And um I uh, he would lend me his fantasy books all the time, right? Steal them or whatever. And uh, I I read this book called Wizard's First Rule and it's it's a it's definitely an adult fantasy. It has some pretty serious dark themes and it it starts off as a slow burn and then it just gets wild. But it's it's a it's a fascinating fantasy universe, and it was my first introduction to grimdark fantasy, and I loved it. And I found out they were going to make a TV show about it. But this was before Netflix got like super big into like throwing money at anything that could possibly stick to a wall and seeing if it worked. 
So it ended up being a TV show. And they made it from like a quite heavily rated R show into like a goofy PG TV at like 6 p.m. show. Oh. And it was awful. Oh my God, it was awful. Like it, it didn't even bear a resemblance to the original story because so many of the themes in the original story are just kind of inherently meant to make you think about like how nasty the world there is. You know, you have these, like you have these, I forget what they're called, but one of the main characters is this woman who comes from this kind of species of wizards that are all women. Because if a boy is born with their powers, they kill them at birth because they'd be considered too dangerous if they're allowed to grow up. And they have this power where if they touch you, they can basically unleash this ability that makes a sound like thunder go off and they strip that person of all their free will. And like that person is literally just a kind of like a automaton at that point. So like they like if they will do anything instructed, so they would tell the truth or that's so they would use that in extreme situations to like find the truth of a situation or punish someone for severe sins. But once it's done, it can't be undone. And that's just like that's just like the lightest, fluffiest thing. And it gets way darker. <laughs> it just goes way I, downhill. I swear I've heard this is uh, the author is Terry Goodkind, and I swear I've heard that. Oh, name before. yeah, he's, he's very uh, famous for fantasy novels. Yeah, he had a series I tried to read and I couldn't get into, but I kind of want to pick up this series because one, it sounds interesting, his, and two, I definitely see uh, the Warhammer fantasy parallels already. Oh yeah, but like the monsters are horrific; they are not nice. Like I, I remember one that literally it's just a claustrophobic nightmare. You, uh, it's like the main character is like crawling through a tunnel and he realizes that the tunnel is getting more and more narrow and he figures out that the rock tunnel he's cr- crawling through is not a tunnel. It's a creature that makes itself look like a rock tunnel and it lives between walls. And what it does is it just crushes down until it crushes you to death slowly. Oh, man. Okay, what's well, um, this one called? I want to make a note of this so I can look it up. Wizard's first rule. Just note that it is very dark. And, <laughs> and gets, so you know, the the disappointing TV series you're talking about is not called the same thing. It's called Legend of the Seeker. Oh, that's and, right. Yep. Oh. And, and from what I'm reading, only the first season bears a passing resemblance to the book on a grander scale is what it's written. And it's too bad it's so disappointing. I mean I'm reading that Sam Raimi was one of the main producers who I love Sam Raimi stuff, but yeah, if it's the sounds like from your description, well, they just, need they the just had, rating. <laughs> yeah, they, they had to neuter it so hard to get it to be acceptable for television. Like I think on Netflix, it could have been really good, but for yeah. like cable TV, no, no, no. This is infamous for being a bad adaptation. I've heard of this, like people that love the books call this one, one of the worst uh, book to TV show adaptations. Yeah, but it, it's it's a wonderful book. It's it's a long ass series. Like I really would recommend to most people, like maybe read the first two books and then be done, um, because he just kind of kept writing, kind of past the point of you know, uh, y'all are familiar with Ender's Game. Yeah, yes. uh, you know how Orson Scott Card kind of kept going oh, past yeah. the point of absurdity. This guy uh-huh. kind of does the same thing. Like I think I think there's like sixteen books or something, and they're all colossal. But like the first two to four are really good. And then after that, it gets a little ridiculous. I can understand. I got to like the third book in the Ender Saga. I'm like, wait, there's how many more? And there's prequels? And oh, I don't care. Yeah, I read, I, I think for Ender's Game, I read the core four and I was like, uh, okay, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> I, got, and, I, got, and, I got to where Ender dies. I'm done. <laughs> and looking at this to, to just for people to have the data, I mean, you can look it up yourself, but the, the Wizard's First Rule is the name of the first book. The series is called Sword, The Sword of Truth. And it currently has 17 books in it. Sweet so, Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I was not I was not exaggerating. <laughs> I was being completely honest. The only author I know that operates on that love is Harry Turtledove, and he that that's his regular series is 17 books long. Yeah, but I so I have not read all 17 books. I think I read maybe eight of them. But the the first one, I mean, the villain is beyond exceptional. The magic system is incredibly complex and fascinating. Because it introduces the concept of you have wizards that like they can only create. So like one of the things you find out is that there there are wizards who can only create and there are wizards who can only destroy like flat. That's all they can do. 
And it kind of introduces the concept that what makes the villain so scary is that he can do both. I know that I know this is super grimdark and and uh, but my brain instantly went to master builders and master breakers from the Lego movie. (laughs) (laughs) A similar concept, certainly. All right, Netflix, you know, HBO has their Game of Thrones prequel. Uh, Apple has their Lord of the Rings. This is what you need to do. There's 17 books. That's unlimited series. It sounds very interesting. You've got the budget. You can go darker. I kind of want to see this now. But yeah, I mean, people can feel free to check it out. It's it, I, it's it's much darker than Warhammer Fantasy. I mean, the the Warhammer writers like they they infer a lot of dark stuff, but Wizards First Rule just gets right in there to the nitty gritty details. And you, there's some scenes where it's like, Whoo, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna take a lap around the room. <laughs> oh boy, I, I'm definitely gonna have to check this out. And at least the first book, I'm gonna have to hide the book in the freezer and calm down, chill. <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll put it this way. Wizard's first rule was my first introduction as a child to the concept of femdom. femdom and I was like, what, what is happening? <laughs> Sorry. As you know what? I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> that's yeah, remember, this is on the internet. You don't want to admit too much. I, 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 that, that's why I'm leaving it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up unless anybody else has last minute thoughts they want to talk about. Uh, I'm good. Well, I, okay, so I feel like we did a lot of example kind of stuff, but you know, you know me, you know I love to look at things from like a big picture kind of philosophical point of view. And so there's, you know, we talked about how we live in this, you know, age where television is now kind of the place where the, a lot of the best stories go. It's just kind of that. But now that we have things like Netflix, um, the shows are less constrained, as you put it, by like, you know, being on cable and stuff. So we get, we live in this era where the opportunities are you know like boundless and and because of i mean i remember i made this comment where harry potter was successful and then suddenly we were awash in ya novel adaptations to movies for like 10 years afterwards we're still dealing with it really but i'm just surprised that uh i've seen a handful of like more adaptations of stuff after i figured game of thrones would you know crack that door open all the way and i've seen a few things like shinar chronicles which is pretty cool but the point is, you know, there's in near an infinite number of stories out there, right? And being able to adapt it into television, which gives you the time, and if you get the right producer, you get basically all the money you need. Don't be afraid to do animation, as Castlevania showed us. Like, I, I just, I love to, I'd like to conclude on this idea that I love that the possibilities seem endless and that we can be hopeful for, like, good adaptations of these, these works we can. Hell, I think the idea of a Warhammer or a 40K adaptation is so out there, but still within the realm of possibility now, like a good one. And that's, like, that just makes me happy that I can be that hopeful, you know? I just think fans of both those uh, properties need to stop saying it can't be done, it's too niche, it's too whatever. It's not. It's gr- We have a Munchkins game. We have two Munchkins games. <laughs> and a yeah. slew of successful PC games. We are not niche as you want us to believe. Let's get out there. Let's get the Golden Throne bookmarks. Let's get Bugmans on every shelf. Well, you know, there's a, there's a problem with any I think a uh, hardcore fantasy series where you get, you get a fan base that very, for very strange reasons, I, I struggle to understand tend to be very, um, they tend to guard it very it's heavily. Very insular. Even, yeah. Which I mean, doesn't help their series. You know, it's like I, you figure if you'd love it so much, you'd want it to be, you know, popular. So it makes money and the people who create it can continue to do so and innovate. Yeah, no, I love the Warhammer universe, both 40K and fantasy, but the community, I've talked about it before, the community, I warn people about the community. It's like, it, it's its very divided. Uh, it, it can be very bumpy, yeah. And uh, um, don't I mean, mention AOS unless you want to lose <laughs> several hours of your life. Yeah, it's like, I mean, that's, that's something that I've been uh, working very hard on for the last few months is just trying to get, trying to help push, especially the fantasy community in a much more friendly and open direction you know to try and be more inclusive instead of exclusive and to kind of get over their humps about a- age of sigmar because you know it's it's been like three years it's it's time <laughs> you yeah know? I, I, was about to, I was about to say i mean you're you're the lore master right so i'm sure you have to uh deal with a certain level of community cultivation right i mean any 
content creator online has to. But since we're talking that like you know these communities especially have you know a special kind of reputation, any fantasy community does, but especially Games Workshop related communities. But I'm sure you've got your own share of like you know techniques and stuff to try to push everything in a positive and optimistic direction. <laughs> right, but you know it's not it's not a big secret in my in my line of work that there are creators who I will not name that do the opposite. You know, they explicitly drive their communities in other directions because they know that if you get a community angry or you get a community upset, they become incredibly active and incredibly supportive though. It's in a kind of a destructive way. But if all you care about is like, you know, making money, then it's tends to be much more effective to be controversial as opposed to inclusive. No, which has caused yeah. some interesting divides in the community, which um, were which for the most part have settled down. But I mean, a year ago, there was there was some insanity going on just because there are a number of individuals who kind of looked at the looked at the playing field and thought to themselves, you know, either we can play ball and do a slow build or, you know, we can light all the fuses and blow everything up and, you know, do what we can with it. And so it was it was interesting to kind of live through that and. You know, I, I doubt it's over. I'm sure there will be more people who come in or people who will resurface. But I mean, for the most part, we finally settled on a pretty chill community. But I mean, there's still bumps, a lot of bumps. Well, it's I mean, I love that you bring it up that way because that like, yeah, I totally understand that courting controversy, it would be good for your numbers. But I do feel like and I get the feeling that you agree with this, but that as a creator, you have a certain responsibility, especially you're putting something out there to you know, influence in some way uh, an audience. So you have a responsibility to that audience, to your society, to and and to ignore that responsibility out of some out of like a selfish desire, you know, to court controversy that way. It seems it seems kind of dickish to me. I don't have a better way to put it. Oh that. no, it's so. it's incredibly dickish. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. And I know there are individual. I, I can I can think of at least three people who might who wouldn't necessarily agree with me on the idea that you know just just because some just because you can make profit from pushing a narrative doesn't mean you should push the narrative. And, and to bring this full circle, that responsibility on the creator applies also to these people doing adaptations, like. Yeah, you're you're trying to make money, that is true, but you have a certain level of responsibility for what you're putting out for the source material that you're dealing with. And I mean, no matter what kind of content you're creating, I think it's important to to recognize the power you hold and to not take advantage of that. Oh yeah. Cough cough, Avatar the Last Airbender, cough cough, Aragon, cough cough. <laughs> yes. God. Aragon, that man, if someone wants to get me upset, Age of Sigmar doesn't get me upset. Aragon, that gets me upset. Yep. <laughs> I there think you get along well with uh, Wundvog because Wundvog is a huge fan of of that author, and all, like apparently that author is coming around to our area pretty soon. He's going like tomorrow to get him to sign his stuff. So yeah, he he rants often about how Aragon hurt him. <laughs> oh, it was it was it was painful for a lot of people. I think. Anyway, that's the perfect kind of philosophical note that I like to end on, Auric. All right, let's move on to our suggestions of the week. And I'll start it right at the top with uh, Bumblebee. Holy shit, they made a good Transformers movie. I I second that. I watched it on the plane on my way back from England. And I was like, oh, wow, I can actually follow these fight scenes. This is weird. Yeah, and I'm not a huge Transformers fan. I'm more Beast Wars because that was my generation's thing beast wars was the shit (laughs) yes oh i wish i had the megatron sound clip queued up for that one you know that in my brain when i hear optimus my brain instantly fills it out still with primal not prime yes uh let's get a beast wars movie okay sprinkling back to the topic at hand bumblebee it's a good bordering on great transformers movie and surprisingly violent i mean there's a couple decapitations in the opening scene of the war on Cybertron, which is the movie I've been wanting to see forever. Give me just the war for Cybertron, please. Oh yeah. I mean, the Decepticons were actually terrifying. Like they were, there was nothing redeeming about them. They were pretty spooky. Yeah. And they looked cool. And as Sotek said, you can follow the action. I mean, it still kind of boils down. It's kind of the iron giant story of 
character A meets giant alien from space. They help each other bond and come over there, overcome each other's, you know, issues. But it's still an incredible movie. It's directed by Travis Knight, who is, I think, one of Axel's favorite directors. Uh, I don't know him by name, so I'd have to hear that's what else your, he That's uh, your Leica guy. Oh, that's Leica? Yeah, I do love everything Leica <laughs> does, so. <laughs> I mean, the effects are great. The Transformers look awesome. There's enough action in it. I really want to see where they're going with this franchise. And they recently announced Michael Bay is done, and he cannot hurt them anymore. Oh, <laughs> Well, and I, I got to say, I, I liked that although they had a human character, they don't end with it being like, this character is now the main character. Like, yeah. the human character leaves. And you're like, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is different. Well, the human character is there to be the cipher for the audience to connect to this giant robot death machine. And I, there's kind of like one moment that I feel is a very strong homage to the Iron Giant. I could be crazy, but... I, mean, I, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I love this movie. It was awesome. And again, surprisingly brutal for PG 13. There's lots of decapitations and eviscerations and all sorts of stuff that have my wife and I going, I can't believe they're doing this. And she said, yeah, but it's oil so they can get away with it. <laughs> I can't believe it's not blood. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's how I felt with what happens to some of the humans. Like, some of the humans, I was oh, like, yeah. oh, okay. I guess I guess because it's not red, it's fine. <laughs> God bless, you know, the t- the ratings. No, 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 blood, blood's bad. Oh, you want to do that? Okay, yeah, sure, that's fine. That, that's, that's perfectly okay. So I guess that makes Bumblebee our, our actual film example of the thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters. So it will eventually yeah. work. Well, I mean, you guys both suggested. I haven't seen it yet, but I'll see it. Eventually, I just got a lot on my plate right now. <laughs> Speaking of which, my suggestion of the week is something I've talked about a couple times. It's a YouTuber who's actually pretty well known. I don't have to like, you know, shill for him or anything. He's just, I like him. And it's what I'm watching. This is Aussie Man Reviews. It's this Australian dude. He just puts his voice over videos and it's hilarious and weird. And he's, I've been watching him lately. Um, he does reviews of Game of Thrones. So with the new season coming out, I've been trying to get myself hyped up for the new season. So I've just been rewatching him review like every episode of the series. And he does a recap, but he the way he recaps it is this very like weird, over-the-top kind of modern way. Like for instance, if someone sends a raven, instead of saying that, he'll say, Oh, they send an email. And if someone like shoots down the raven, it's like, oh, and they hack his emails. You know, that's it's like a little thing, but it just over the course of the entire recap, it it slays me. It's hilarious. That's it's a enjoyable. nice touch. Yeah, and so if you like want to, you know, get yourself hyped up for the new season, and you don't want to actually go back and rewatch the whole series. Maybe you do, but in addition to that, just you could watch Aussie Man's reviews. It's, uh, apparently, the actor who plays Bran, he actually watches Aussie Man's reviews when he's trying to get himself, you know, reacquainted for like an interview or something. So I thought it was pretty cool. So, but yeah, I'm just uh, giving him a, an official suggestion of the week because it's what I've been watching. So. All right, then. Sotek, what do you got for us? I would say my suggestions, um, I guess to be topical, because I'm the lore master of Sotek, I would say if you have never heard of Warhammer before, maybe check out a, one of the Go Trek of Felix books. The first one is Troll Slayer, if you're interested in that. Or if you want something super, super dark, like the darkest I've ever read, you could check out Wizard's First Rule. It's a great read. Um, alternatively, if you, if you like the idea of Warhammer Fantasy, but you want more of a pure human storyline and more of just like a story of like humans just trying to survive in a crazy world with chaos and demons and monsters then i would recommend a series known as the black hearts which are a group of criminals who are wrongfully uh, convicted but instead of being executed they're offered basically a they're kind of offered the stereotypical role of um getting to do clandestine really really awful jobs that nobody wants wants to do in exchange for not being killed. And it's a fascinating series that really shows a lot of the horrors of Warhammer Fantasy from a purely human perspective, which is pretty fun. I've never heard of that one. I'm going to check that one out as well. Man, you've been adding my reading list. <laughs> well, that's that's what that's what I do. <laughs> All right. Well, now we come to the part of the show where we let our guests, you know, plug themselves as thanks for coming on and talking with us. 
All right, great. Um, well, if you want to see any of my stuff, uh, you can always check me out on YouTube. I very, very recently, this past weekend, was one of the four casters slash announcers at the Creative Assembly Everchosen Tournament uh, Invitational number four, the Spring Invitational. So if you want to go check that out, um, you can see what I look like. And it was a lot of fun and it was crazy. And there were tens of thousands of people watching. and It was a ton of fun. And so you can go check that out on Creative Assembly's uh, Total War YouTube account or the Total War official Twitch account. And other than that, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get you back sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. I had a blast. Awesome. I always want to have fun. That's like, well, that's my uh, executive order number one. Have fun. All right. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Most importantly, the share part, because if you don't share it, people won't see it. My contractually obligated job at this point is to shill SoundCloud, which I'm perfectly fine with because SoundCloud's actually pretty awesome. We have our videos on both YouTube and SoundCloud, so if you're watching us on one or the other, the other one's available. Whatever's easiest for you. SoundCloud lets you, you know, download and stuff like that. But we're also looking into other avenues, other platforms. If there's any platform for podcasts that you use that you'd like to see us on, you know, make it easier for you so you can keep all your podcasts together, let us know what that platform is so we can look into it. All right. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.